several miles off the main highway, tucked away in a secluded canyon on prime vineyard property, stands a rustic barn that was built many decades before the vines around it were planted. In that barn, a sophisticated broadcast and recording studio has been built. The barn also has a well-hidden root cellar stocked with many of the world's most exceptional wines, only to be shared with guests who secretly come to offer their insights and tell their stories. Guests are sworn to secrecy and are shuttled to the studio aboard a John Deere tractor. Those who cannot make the journey in person are interviewed by satellite hookup, and sometimes the crew simply sneaks away with microphones in hand and interviews guests in barrel rooms, wine cellars, and other magical places. All of this is done like clockwork every single week so that we can bring you another episode of Grape Encounters Radio. Peel me a grape Crush me some ice Skin me a peach Save the fuzz for my pillow And it is time for your weekly Grape Encounter. And you know, every once in a while, you will hear me say that we're going to talk about a subject that we've never talked about before. I remember eight years ago when I started this program, my father said, how are you going to find enough things to talk about concerning wine for years and years? Well, it turns out there's just no end to the number of topics out there. But gosh, there's one topic that I really think we have neglected. And I saw a very interesting research study that came out a few days ago. It has to do with what price we pay for luxury wine. And one of the authors of the study is with me now. She is Liz Tosh, Dr. Liz Tosh. And what an interesting study. But before we get into this, I want to just mention the fact that you were the first female master of wine in California. That is just amazing. Awesome. When did that happen? Uh, 2011, and I'm pretty excited because I'm fifth-generation California, so California is near and dear to my heart, so oh. it was thrilling to have that happen. Oh, awesome. All right, well, let's jump into your study because we like to, I think, categorize wine a lot more these days, and I hear this term cocktail wine all the time. That just gets under my skin, cocktail wine, because it <laughs> makes the wine sound not very important and not really worth drinking, so I kind of avoid that term, but luxury wine is a term. I guess not a lot of people use because they can't afford it. But the real question is, what is it? And you've done a great job of defining what a luxury wine is. So can you just kind of jump into the study that just came out and help us wrap our arms around what a luxury wine is? Uh, Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to do so. Well, you know, it's interesting because we were actually in the last year or two approached by some of the Napa and Sonoma wineries to do research in this topic because luxury wine research hasn't really been carried out much in the U.S. It is in Europe, but not right. much here. And so we started diving into the, the research literature out there, and then I spent three months in Burgundy. That's where some of the highest priced wines in the world come from. And so what we ended up with in terms of a definition And luxury actually is not just wine, but any luxury product. It's defined as anything that is desirable and more than necessary and ordinary. So it's a special product that you're buying for a special occasion usually, and therefore the price is going to be higher. It's not your everyday drinking wine or your cocktail wine. It's a real special wine that you're buying. And so obviously the price is going to be a little bit higher. I love that first phrase, more than necessary. (laughs) I have an awful lot of friends who think that the wine that I drink is more than necessary. 
but it's, <laughs> but it's nothing in comparison to you know you talked about Bordeaux and you can spend thousands of dollars on a bottle of wine there. Oh yeah. One of these days I'm going to. I'm not leaving it to my kids. Yeah. I'm going to Bordeaux. But anyway. Yeah, exactly. But that seems to me to be a very pliable term, more than necessary. What you know? How do you then define more than necessary? Yeah, so uh, what we did is, you know, if you take a look at, at Wine Searcher, the top 50 most expensive wines in the world, they're all more than $1,000 a bottle. But when we started looking at the research, you know, like Nelson Scan data, for example, anything above $25 is considered expensive. So we ended up proposing a luxury wine price continuum, and we ended up defining it as affordable luxury wine is 50 to $99. And so if you look at luxury, it's sort of on a scale or a continuum. And, you know, even other products, like I like to use BMW as an example. You know, sort of the entry-level BMW, which is a luxury car, is the 3 Series. But then you can go all the way up to the 7 Series, which is sort of at the far end of the continuum. So same with wine. You have affordable luxury, $50 to $99. Then you have true luxury wine, which is $100 to $499. And then what we call icon wine. This is something truly special, five hundred to nine ninety nine. And then a dream wine is over a thousand dollars a bottle. And a dream wine is something we all aspire to. You know, a lot of people say they want to taste Latash or Romani Conti or, you know, Lafitte. And these are dream wines. And, you know, one day hopefully we can all taste them. But anybody in wine, you know, sort of has those out there as the holy grail of wines. And so we wanted to create a luxury wine price continuum that really reflected what was happening in global wine pricing now. So it's still a proposal, and we're looking for feedback and pushback, and we're getting some. But uh, we just wanted to put something out there to start the conversation on what's really happening in the world of luxury wine. I think that is so amazing. You're right. You know, it needs to be done. Well, I say it needs to be done, but this is a question that, you know, I get asked all the time, not just because I host a wine show, but because I also am a wine retailer. People feel the necessity to put wine into categories and classifications. So I'm glad that somebody has at least taken a swing at it. Tell me what kind of pushback, Mm -hmm. first of all, you've gotten, or have you gotten more praise than pushback? Oh, both, I would say. Um, Praise for at least attempting to address the issue, because it's never clearly been addressed. And then pushback, just a lot of questions. So what does this mean? Well, how does this mean? Or how does it work in this case? Or what about vintage variation? Or what about currency fluctuation? Those are all the kinds of questions we've received, which I think are really great questions to help further define this. I guess in a way, it's kind of like being just on the outskirts of a great AVA. If you are in the AVA, it's worth a lot more than if you are, you know, five feet away from it. Doesn't matter. You're out of that category. And I can see where there would be some pushback from winemakers where they would want their wine to be considered as a finer wine without having to adjust the price. But of course, it's ultimately up to them to play with the price. Yes, exactly. I mean, the winemaker sets the suggested retail price. And then, of course, by the time it gets to the wine shop and the distributor and so forth, it changes. But, you know, this continuum is dynamic. And so a wine, you know, might enter, you know, the the price category below affordable luxury. And then over time and with vintage you know, if it's a really good vintage or so forth, it, it could enter the luxury continuum. Or opposite, maybe it came out at one price and then some collectors sell it for a long time and maybe it, it goes down in price if it's not sold at the right time. 
So it, it is dynamic, and, and currency fluctuation also would play in this. You know, this is in U.S. dollars. It needs to be adjusted for other markets. We're talking to Dr. Liz Tosh. She is at Sonoma State University, a master of wine, and one of the authors of a study that seeks to define and classify wine according to how, well, let's just say, luxurious it is. I would guess, Liz, that if the wine industry did embrace this kind of classification, I would think that it would influence prices a little bit, that people would nudge the wine one direction or another just to help classify the wine or make the wine look more favorable. In other words, you know, if, you, if you've got a wine that's, you know, $470, you know, why not push the price to $501 and be in a higher classification? Yeah. Do you see that happening? Exactly. Well, I think that that's probably one of the dangers of this kind of classification. But it all depends on the consumer. I mean, the consumer has the ultimate power because they're going to decide whether or not they're going to pay that much for that wine. But again, we're trying to give some kind of definition to what luxury wine is. I mean, in other product categories, for example, a purse, you know, a dream purse is over $3,000. So a dream wine at over 1000 doesn't seem as expensive. <laughs> yeah, except that the purse you get to keep, the wine is gone after, uh, you know, one dinner. <laughs> that's... Yeah, you know, that, you know that's, the, that's the interesting thing about wine. I had a top producer in Burgundy tell me, you know, wine is the ultimate luxury product because as soon as you drink it, it's gone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and that's true. I don't <laughs> you know. can look at the bottle, but, but it's gone. I don't know if you've had the same experience as I have, but uh, the empty bottle doesn't go for much. Sadly, though, there is a resale market for expensive empty wine bottles, is, so, is the, not is, for good reason. Is there really? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. I, knew yes. I, I knew I was saving these for, mm-hmm. for a reason. All right, we're going to come back and talk a little bit more about this. There are a number of other elements that you've identified that also contribute to you know the classification of the wine, and I want to get into that, things like aesthetics and scarcity. And so we'll jump Mm -hmm. into that. We are talking about luxury wine with Dr. Liz Tosh at Sonoma State University, just up north in California. And we will return. I'm going to go grab some luxury wine while we're in the commercial break. And uh, we will return and sip some luxury wine and uh, slip a little deeper into this topic when we return with Grape Encounters Radio. Your Grape Encounter with David Wilson will continue from our Central Coast Wine Country studio in the quaint, friendly, and historic town of Atascadero, California. Don't forget to join our Grape Encounters Radio Facebook group page, where incredibly fun people just like you share ideas and frequently get together to share a bottle as well. Hi, this is Michael Mandavi. You're listening to David Wilson on Grape Encounters Radio. Welcome back to Grape Encounters, where we like to think of every wine country as home. However, our studios are located in the very friendly town of Atascadero, California, where fine wine can be found in every direction which means you never really need directions to get anywhere you really want to go. All right, back with Grape Encounters Radio and my very special guest, Dr. Liz Tosh from Sonoma State University. She and some of her colleagues have put together an interesting study that I think you'll find fascinating. 
We talked about price classifications of the wines, affordable luxury being fifty to ninety nine dollars, a luxury wine a hundred to four ninety nine, an iconic wine or icon wine five hundred to nine ninety nine, and then the dream wine a thousand dollars plus. But there are other factors that contribute to how desirable a wine might be, and you've listed some of those like scarcity and aesthetics. Can we jump into that for a second and explain? Yes, yeah, because high price is only one aspect of luxury wine. Probably one of the most important aspects is very, very high quality. I mean, exceptionally high stellar quality, authenticity, wine that's from a top vineyard, crafted by a highly skilled winemaker. So, you know, you can taste the quality in the glass. That's one of the really important attributes, and it's authentic. And then related to that, lately, sustainability has been added to the luxury wine criteria. Consumers really want to know that the wine was made in an environmentally friendly fashion and with social responsibility. Sustainability is the newest attribute in the luxury research. And it's just because I think maybe a lot of people who are spending money at that price point, they're just now starting to question, okay, well, wait a minute, how is this made? that kind of thing. So it's a newer one. And I think it, it, to me, I think it links to high quality. I've done a lot of tastings and I can taste the difference in sometimes organic and biodynamic wines, but not always. Well, I think going back to your example in the first segment, you were talking about the BMW and using that as a metaphor, Mm -hmm. but I was thinking sort of about like a Tesla and the idea that here's Mm -hmm. here's a car that is so socially responsible. It's a hundred percent clean burning, you know, renewable, everything that you would want in an automobile. And it's very luxurious at the same time. So I could see where that same idea would be working in in wine as well, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And Tesla also did something very smart in that when they entered the market, they came out with a higher priced car. And now that the brand has been established, then they start coming out with a more affordable version or affordable luxury, as we say. That's usually the best way to do it. You don't want to start at a low price and then try to go up. You want to start at a pretty high level of quality. And then you can come out with that second brand or second label. This is a question that I get all the time. And I'm sure you do as an MW. You've got to get this question a lot. And it's the question of, is it worth it? People aren't, I think, afraid to buy a $100, let's say, bottle of wine if they're absolutely confident that they're going to have a really memorable experience with that bottle of wine. But as you and I both know, for a lot of people, the value of that wine is lost on them because some people can't really tell the difference between a $100 bottle of wine and a $10 bottle of wine. They just don't have the taste buds for it. And frankly, you know, it explains why there are so many people drinking inexpensive wine because it makes them happy and they don't really care about that price. But for the person who can really appreciate a great wine, the question always is asked, is that bottle of wine worth the price, $100 or $500? How do you answer that? And how arbitrary do you think wine pricing really is? That's a great question. And I think that sort of picks up the other four attributes of luxury and that scarcity, aesthetic, symbolic, and privilege. So even somebody who isn't that sophisticated in wine knowledge, doesn't have a lot of background in it, if somebody explains to them that this is a really scarce bottle and they can look at the aesthetics of it and the beautiful label or the packaging and they understand the symbolism and basically the privilege of, of tasting it. I mean, you could say this about a special cheese or caviar or something else as well. Once somebody understands that this is a real special dish or a glass of wine that they're going to be tasting, that it sort of imbues that they call it the luxury magic, the magic of luxury. 
the product takes on this very special experiential moment that right. that people are sharing. And so, yeah, maybe they li- might like the taste of. Uh, I remember I did have somebody tell me their first taste of Latosh was disappointing for them because they had expected so much more. And they were used to drinking Russian River Pinot Noirs, which are much more fruity than the earthiness of a Burgundy. But still, the fact that they were tasting this bottle of wine that was over $1,000 in special vintage made the experience for them very memorable. Well, one of the things that I think shocks a lot of people is when they have an opportunity to drink something that's quite old. And Mm -hmm. they have the expectation that 50-year-old bottle of wine is going to taste amazing. You know, if it survived, it's going to taste amazing. And... More often than not, for the general consumer, it's not going to taste amazing. It's going to taste old, and you have to appreciate it for what it is. I mean, some wines do age very beautifully, but a lot of wines, they just taste old. And that, for the wine aficionado, that's the magic. You know, you're tasting all of that history, and you Mm -hmm. you forgive the fact Mm -hmm. that it's not fresh and crisp anymore, but you love Mm -hmm. the fact that it's aged so well. That, I think, is something that shocks people a lot, and especially when you're drinking wines from, say, a region like Napa. Valley that's not really all that old as far as a producing right. re- region mm-hmm. is concerned. The wines that they make today are just vastly better than the wines they were making 50 years ago. So you can't expect that wine that was not made with the craftsmanship that we have today to taste better than the wines we make today. Exactly, exactly. And you're sort of t- bringing in the aspect of wine knowledge. So a beginner may not know that, but somebody who's been tasting wine for a long time does know that, just like you do. And if you could sort of explain that story to the person and share that experience experience, it makes it even more special. All right. We've just got a minute left. There were a couple of other things that were on that infographic that was published recently from your study. And one in particular that struck me as interesting is privilege. So let's dive into that for a second, because there are a lot of people who I think feel a little, I hate to use the word jealous, but envious that they don't get to drink the wines that the rich and famous get to drink. How important is privilege? Um, They say that it's pretty important. And a lot of the privilege comes from older vineyards, older brands, wine families that have been established for centuries, and so the product is scarce. And so there's privilege that comes from the background of the wine, but also from the chance to drink it. That's sort of what luxury is about. There's a saying out there that it should be a little difficult to be able to obtain this product. That's why some people, uh, you know, dislike luxury. They say it's not democratic and it creates the sense of divide, but it also, on the other side, creates a chance to dream. And so if you're privileged enough, even if it's just to taste a teaspoon of this very, very special old, old magical wine, you're going to remember that. I think that's absolutely true. I just have one quick last question. How accurate do you think pricing is today? I mean, are we getting it right, the people who are producing producing the wine and pricing the wine, or are they getting it 70% right? What's your feeling about how accurately the price reflects the quality of a wine? Hmm. <laughs> that for a t- that's a loaded question. That's a, that's, a, that's a tough question. Yeah, because price and quality are not always in tandem there. Right. And so, you know, you might have a brand new producer. You know, one of the other things about luxury is they say it takes decades to create a luxury brand. It doesn't happen overnight. Now, you might be a cult sensation, but how long can you make that last? You can price your wine 
wine wherever you want to, but the truth is the proof is in the tasting. Exactly. In the end, the consumer yeah. and the reviewer is going to make the final decision. And, you know, like last night, I had a beautiful bottle of Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand that was $8, and it was exquisite. Liz, I appreciate you coming on the show. It was really, really an enlightening conversation. We're going to bring a winemaker in the studio in just a moment who makes very affordable wines that I would contend are luxury wines. So we're going to do that next. Thank you, Liz, for being on. It was fun. Have a great day. Okay, you too. We'll be back with more Grape Encounters mm-hmm. right after this. We like to talk about wine. He's setting down the wine glass and picking up the microphone. Here's your Grape Encounters host, David Wilson. I like some good times, cheap wine, baggy rock and roll. Go rock and roll, yeah. I'm fine wine, sunshine, baby. And we are back with Grape Encounters Radio. And I'm so glad to have my next guest in the studio. He's somebody that we've had on the air uh, before. They're even a sponsor of the show, but that's not why he's here. We had a big to-do last night. Had a bunch of people out for a release party for Cardello Winery. And Nathan Cardello, the winemaker, is here. And I asked him last night if he would just hang out and be with us today to talk on the radio just because his wines are priced in such a way that they would not fall into the luxury categories that we talked about with Dr. Tosh earlier. So anyway, Nathan, welcome to the show. You didn't know you were going to be on the radio. Yeah, thank you for having me. We are not here to pimp the wines. That was last night. And we did a great job of that. Oh, that was fun. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. That was a blast. Yeah, if you didn't make that party, you missed a really great party. And by the way, it was open to everybody. I just want listeners, by the way, to know you need to go onto Facebook and make sure that you join the Grape Encounters group page because then you'll get notifications when we have fun swinging times like that, right? People were missing out if they weren't here last yeah, night. Yeah, so. really it was really a big party. Anyway, I appreciate you being there. Yeah. Anyway, we just got off the phone with Dr. Tosh talking about their study on luxury brands and, you know, the luxury category beginning at $50 and I don't think you have anything priced at $50 under your label. But I do want to talk about price because, I, you know, it's important to people. For a lot of people, $30 is a lot of money to pay for a bottle of wine. Right. And so what goes into the pricing of a bottle of wine? I mean, how arbitrary is it? Because, you know, you've got wines that are $22 and wines that are $35. Ultimately, how do you make that decision as a winemaker? I mean, obviously, the first thing you're looking at are what are, what are my costs? of producing the wine. And that's going to vary widely depending on their equipment, how big they are. You know, you have scales of efficiency. Um, but, you know, once you've established what what does it cost me to produce this bottle of wine, uh, you know, the other factors that go into it are how fancy is your packaging, you know, how how much are you marketing the wine. But really a lot of that is just, is just the demand for the wine. So, you know, even the wines that are $100 a bottle, it didn't cost them $75 to make that wine. You know, perhaps it cost them and I'm just going to throw out a number here, but let's say it cost them $15. And that's a really high number, in my opinion. You know, that's, okay. that's using really expensive fruit, um, which is going to be a big driver in the bottle cost. But a lot of that is is just the perception of the brand and, and the value that the brand has. Um, and I think you see that across the board with fashion. You see it, you know, in wine, obviously. 
things that that just demand a higher price because of of the aura that they put out. Um, but let's talk about your brand for a second, because sure. you know, obviously, I talk about your brand every week. I was the one a year ago who said you would be one of the hottest cult wineries in the country, and that's becoming true. We're getting there. Yeah, yeah absolutely, it's becoming true. Yeah, and yet you still price your wines in the basically twenties and thirties. Some of the wines, I'm just saying this, okay? I could easily throw an eighty dollar price tag on, and I could easily sell that wine, and maybe even actually sell it better yeah. with a higher price tag because of the perception that price gives of the wine. Correct. We all know that's true. That's true. And nobody would be disappointed when they when they cracked open that bottle. They would love the bottle. Right. They wouldn't feel like they were being cheated. Now we don't do that, right? Right. But is the temptation there ever? You know, the temptation is there, but you know, you got to remember we're we're just old farmers from Fresno County, and you know, we're cheap we're cheap people, and we drink wine, and I don't want to say we're cheap, but you know, we drink wine, and you know, our our initial uh, intention was to produce wines that people could could purchase every day, and right. and you know, at eighty dollars a bottle, though I think we can justify that, it doesn't fulfill our gratification of knowing that people are consuming our wines every day. But how many people think like you do? Because, I mean... Probably, you know, just people that I, aren't farmers. Just people that aren't farmers. <laughs> yeah. See, you know what you guys remind me of? And again, we're talking to Nathan Cardella. He is the winemaker at Cardella Winery. And we're really not talking about the wines. We're talking about pricing wines. You guys remind me of rock and roll groups in the 60s. And here's why I say that. Because these people were not getting rich. You know, the people that I grew up with and, you know, my brothers, older brothers grew up with, they weren't making big money. There, there weren't big record contracts. And if they were making big money, it was the producer that was making all the money. They were just musicians having a good time. Doing and, it for the love. Right. Driving around in Volkswagen, you yeah. know, vans. Yeah. And, and that was basically it. And now today, you know, those same groups, if they came onto the scene today, assuming we would like that music today, yeah. they would make, you know, thousands of times more money than they were making in those days. Right. And that's, and don't you think it's kind of the way the wine industry is? Because there are a lot of, you, you hear stories all the time about people who start a wine label and they're making good wine, but they're not winemakers. They're celebrities and, you know, or the, they're branding experts. A, a lot of yeah. people coming out of Silicon Valley, you know, coming out of the tech industry, they've got gobs of money and they, they want their name on a bottle because it's one of the coolest things that you can possibly do is to right. have your name on a bottle of wine. Right. Well, you know, uh, you bring up a lot of good points there, and I actually think the '60s music may come back. You know, everything comes back, so we we don't want to lose sight of that. Oh well, it, it never left, to be honest with you. But that's but, a different story, okay? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it's this whole pricing thing is 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 something that you know even locally, David, in in our region, we're we're priced lower than a lot of our neighboring wineries, and our brand exudes a lot more quality and a lot more just uh, you know, it's a lot higher higher quality. High Higher class, uh, better experience, um, and at the end of the day, you know, we we are going to start ratcheting up the prices. Um, we do have some some wines that we're putting in some different barrel programs, uh, doing some really fascinating things in the vineyards. They're going to justify some higher prices. So let's let's talk uh, first about the barrel because that, and, and in fact, I want to get into. We're going to uh, spill this into the next uh, segment, but I want to get into some of the things that influence the price of a wine. Right, the barrel might be the single 
biggest influencer if you're using new oak. Talk about the cost of a barrel and how much that contributes to the price of a wine. A barrel can be a large cost. It depends on how much new oak you're going to use. But presuming you use, uh, you know, 100% new oak on a particular wine, which, you know, a lot of reserve wines are aged in 100% new oak. And French oak being the most expensive, French oak being the most expensive, depending on the exchange rate, uh, anywhere between $800 to, to, you you can get uh, French oak barrels for $2,000. But I'd say most French oak barrels, Eight hundred to twelve hundred dollars is your is your price point. Right. There. That is a huge. It's factor. about a buck a bottle when it when it comes. It's down only to going it. to be a new barrel once. That's correct. Yeah. Talk about the life of a barrel, uh, real quickly. You know, it starts out as a new barrel. It will be in the barrel program for how long? It, it really is just going to depend on the wine. Uh, if the wine can handle a lot of oak, then the wine's going to stay in the oak barrel for, for a longer period of time. Uh, some wines uh, will only spend three or four months in new oak uh, because you don't want. But I'm saying the, the barrel as a tool that you would use as a so winemaker. Right. It's going to its first year. It will be used as a new oak barrel, and the wine might stay in there a couple of months, or it might stay in there sure, for a sure. year. And then the second time you fill up the barrel, you can age the same wine or same style of wine for a longer period of time because there's less extraction from the oak. Uh, third year, even longer. And by the fourth year, we pretty much consider that barrel neutral. Um, but you know, you have a lot of other things going on uh, on in barrels. You you have just the native flora and uh, native yeasts and bacteria that have developed in there. And a lot of wineries, ourselves included, will utilize their older barrels because they have a high population of lactic acid bacteria, which will help your secondary uh, malolactic fermentation. So it, you develop a house flavor with your barrels also. Oh, that's a very interesting topic. We could probably talk all day about. One thing I want to make sure we touch upon is the selling of bulk grape juice by what are known as negotiants. Guys like you and most of my winemaking friends go to great pains to grow some awesome fruit, get it in the right barrels, and then nurture it all the way to the bottle. But these days, there's a tremendous amount of wine that we drink that's made from bulk juice. This isn't in any way to discredit this kind of creating wine, but it does go a long way toward explaining why there's so much inexpensive wine on the market that would never make it into the luxury brand category. Any thoughts? You know, the the wine world is built around transparency, but when the average consumer looks at a label on a bottle of wine, there's a lot that they don't understand and that they're not seeing. And the negotiant part of it is one of those. You know, a lot of times people presume that the wine in the bottle is coming from the picture on the label and everything is done there and it's this nice uh, romantic thing where people are are singing to the grapes and, and pulling samples out of a barrel. But in reality, that wine in the bottle could have came from all over the state and just been slapped behind a brand. And people don't understand that. And not only that, this is the most important part in my mind anyway, is a lot of times that winery doesn't exist. Exactly. It's not a real winery. That's correct. It's not a brick and mortar winery. There is no building. That's right. There is no winery there. Right. Either a winery that has production capability made the wine for them or it went to a bulk production facility. Yeah, it hasn't gone down the normal path that wines, that winemakers have passion produce. You know, it not to say it's a bad wine. It's not that piece of art that someone lamented over and did everything they could from start to finish to produce. I don't think there's ever been a study done, at least not to my knowledge, of how many of those companies are out there or uh, really what percentage of the wine produced is made in that fashion. But I will tell you this, it's huge. It's what? huge. But we can talk more about that when we come back. Uh, Nathan Cardella is the winemaker at Cardella Winery. He was uh, here. We had a great party for them here at the studio and the Grape Encounters Emporium last night. It was a humdinger, man. But I asked Nathan to hang out so that we could get him in on this conversation about wine prices because uh, we had Dr. Tosh on, talked about her study. So we're getting now the winemaker's perspective here on Grape Encounters Radio. We'll be right back. 
Your Grape Encounter with David Wilson will continue right after this. And while you're listening to these important messages, we are going to sip into something more comfortable. Wine does not simply stimulate intriguing conversations. It is often the subject of those conversations. Here is David Wilson. Fine, 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 fine is wine. Again, we're back with Grape Encounters Radio and have in the studio Nathan Cardella. I'm not talking about Cardella wines today. I love Cardella wines, but uh, Nathan was our special guest at a party last night, and boy, we had a great time here. Uh, guys, really keep your eyes peeled for our parties. You're always invited. There's never a charge unless you buy something. <laughs> but uh, anyway, Nathan agreed to stay over so we could talk a little bit more about this whole idea of wine pricing. I think a lot of people really, frankly, stunned at the low prices that uh, not only we have on your wines, but a lot of wines. To me, Nathan, if you spend, let's say, $30, you have 30 bucks to spend on a bottle of wine, you should be able to get a really good bottle of wine. Don't you think? Absolutely. If you're not getting a good bottle of wine at $30, there's something wrong. How about 20? 20's hit and miss. 20's iffy, right? Uh, 20's iffy, and uh, you get down to about 15, and it's roll the dice. Let's remember something about those $15 Napa cap. Right. It says Napa on it, but can you explain how it is that you could sell Napa Cab wine for so little and what you're really getting? Because I don't think a lot of people really understand that not all Napa cabs are created equal. Right. And that's something Napa's done a fantastic job of doing is promoting their region and branding their region. But the reality of it is, is a $15 bottle of Napa cab. Yes, the grapes are from Napa, but the vineyard that those grapes came from are going to be farmed for maximum production. And when you do that, you're losing a lot of the quality. So what does that mean exactly? Uh, you're, you're farming it for yield. You're trying to grow a big vine with lots of fruit, generally with a big because vine. Because that Napa name on the bottle is... That, that means more than the quality in the bottle to some people. They see that and assume automatically it's going to be a great wine because it's a Napa cab. That's right. Yeah. But, I mean, like I said, Napa has done a fantastic job branding themselves. So what about the wines? You know, there are cull wines too. Cull meaning C-U-L-L wines. They didn't make the cut for whatever reason. And so they were sold into some kind of bulk wine program, right? This happens all the time. Earlier on the show, we were talking about negotiants, the people who buy bulk juice. Now that bulk juice can go almost anywhere. Sometimes the juice is crushed and sold immediately to a winemaker that likely is using someone else's facility to produce his or her wine. But there are a whole bunch of people making virtual wine, and those numbers are growing every year, probably because people like me are encouraging folks to try their hand at winemaking. Nathan, have you got any idea as to how many of these kind of operations there are out there? Yeah, you know, I heard a number that there's something like eight or 9,000 wineries in the state of California now, and a large percentage of those, we're talking, you know, 20% perhaps, and my numbers aren't exact, are virtual wineries. They're not yeah. real wineries. Yeah, and, and by the way, I am in no way against this concept. I, no, I, I, I. I want to say that because, because this is an entry point for people who want to get into winemaking. That's right. You start as a virtual winery. You don't need to plant any grapes. You don't no. need any equipment. No. You need to find, identify good people. It, I mean, you might be able to find a Nathan Cardella. Yeah, it's a fantastic avenue for getting a brand exactly. going. But, you know, we're talking luxury wines, and I'm not seeing luxury wines 
coming from that sector. Not to, I don't want to dog that sector because, to be honest with you, it's a very nice thing from a production standpoint to know exactly what your costs are going, to, going into a project. But as far as luxury wines, I think the luxury wines should be the wines that are coming from the vineyards and the wineries that, that well, are I think, in-house. I think that's exactly the case. The odds of you getting your hands on enough terrific grapes to make a virtual wine that's just off the charts, the odds are not good. You know, it, it, you can get tough. it. You can get it. And if you've got, if money is no object, you can get you it. Can really you can really get it. Right? That's right. But you know, to me, it's all about control. When you can control the vineyard, when you can control the winemaking, when you can control the the, the barrel program, uh, when you can control everything, you're going to be a lot better off from a quality standpoint than, right. than just kind of taking what you get or taking what's out there and what's available. Right. We are talking to Nathan Cardella, the winemaker at Cardella Winery, one of my absolute faves, as you know. But you know, talking about the price of wines today and, you know, what is a fair price. Let's take it to Cardella for a second. Sure. And let's just say that you go out to the winery and you put the wine thief in and you taste something out of a barrel and you suddenly go, oh, my gosh. Right. This is the most amazing, delicious thing, not only that we have made, but maybe that I've ever tasted in my life. You can't sell that wine for 30 bucks, Really? No. Are uh, you going to do that? No, no, absolutely not. In it, in the old days, I used to blend it back into the normal label, to our to our white label. Uh, nowadays, we actually save those barrels and we have a reserve program because there, there's, you know, the barrels behave differently. You know, you can have 10 barrels of uh, right. Sangiovese and every single one of those barrels can have different subtleties that just, you know, generally contribute to the overall complexity of the final wine. But if there's one barrel that's just so fantastic, you better believe uh, I'm going to set that aside and do something special with that. And those wines can justify a higher price point. Uh, absolutely. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? And now, how many bottles of wine can we get out of a barrel? Do you know what that number is? Yeah, barrels, 25 cases. So uh, what is that about? 25 times 12. Times 12. What is okay. that, four, 400, 300? Yeah, so a lot. Yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah, yeah, it's a lot. So that's a lot of wine. It just for, So you would identify that one barrel, and that would be this barrel select wine, and that's not unusual, right? No, I don't think it's unusual at all. And, you know, we, we say that's a lot of wine, but, you know, from a production standpoint, you know, anything less than uh, about 500 cases really isn't a lot of wine. And when you're talking about a barrel, that's 25 cases. That's a really small amount of wine. And, and wines like that, especially that are, that are going to age well in the cellar, uh, once they're bottled, putting a high price point on that is, is actually well justified. I think also, especially with smaller boutique wineries, you can generally ask the people in the tasting room or at the winery, or if you're lucky enough to meet the winemaker, got anything special that you're hiding in the back? We always do. Because yeah. there's always something. There's always something. There's always something there. And ask for those things. You're, you're, you're not going to get the special opportunities unless you ask. That's right. And they do exist. They're and always I, there. I do the same thing you know, in our, our wine shop. I keep some things in the back. That are well, just amazing. You know, we have something in common. We we both want people to have a good experience right. when they're when they're with us. And that's part of a way of making people feel special is showing them the things that you hold dearest to your heart. Right. All right. Well, uh, I hope we made you feel special out there, folks. Uh, that is the end of our show. That's a good one. That's we'll end on that note. Nathan, it's always nice having you in here. Man. Quite a pleasure. Thank it you. It was really, really fun last night, really fun today. And, you know, keep up the amazing work that you're doing. If you're interested in Cardello Wines, you can go to Cardello cardellowinery.com. That's it. www. Yeah. Check them out. They've got uh, great wines there. You can also come to the Grape Encounters Emporium. We'll be happy to sell you some Cardello wine. Uh, you can even buy it online. But anyway, we appreciate, uh, Nathan, you being here so much and making great wine and keep it up. And I can't wait to see 
your first bottle with a $100 price tag on it. Well, you know, you actually may have it in your wine shop because you have wines that we're sold out of. (laughs) There you go. All right. That is going to do it for Grape Encounters today. We'll see you next week. And uh, enjoy your week and enjoy your wine. And life is way too short to drink crummy wine. Remember that. But drink what you love and don't let anybody tell you that you have to drink something different. Your Grape Encounter isn't over. We're just taking a breather until next week's edition. 